Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I am tired. I'm weary. I've been traveling. I'm trying my best to keep my head up here, Kirby. You'll probably notice that the sound quality here is terrible. And that's because I am at the remote studio. It's just not very good. So I apologize to everyone for that. I'd like to have a little bit of a freewheeling discussion today, if you don't mind. Lead the way. Um, let's start with a somewhat pedestrian topic, and that is um, Road America. I don't know. I, I, it was a decent race um, from my standpoint. It was it was definitely watchable. Uh, what comments do you have, Kerb? All in all, a fun race, even when... New Garden was pulling things out there in the middle of the race. A lot of other action going on throughout the the pack. And uh, throw in the willpower, Devlin, DeFrancesco, Contratemp, and stuff going on all over the track. I don't I, I don't know if anything stood out to you, Curb. I guess the one thing that kind of stood out to me is, uh, you know, uh, the guy who just didn't seem to feature at all and was barely mentioned, Scott Dixon, again. He's been a little... Um, invisible here for much of the season uh, yeah and yet he's there in six yeah he's just top tenning it along and even with the miserable points uh resulted indy in the double points race he still is able to average about 25 to 30 points a race it looks like you know with each race he's slipping a little bit further away yeah i think he's probably at the, the very limits of people that you think are legitimate contenders the rest of the way and and barely so right. i think well, I think we get into this every year. I think at this point you want to be within, I mean, anything over 100, I think you're out. You know, the top five are within 47 points of each other. Um, and then you hop another 22 points after that to Dixon. You know, he's gone now more than a calendar year without a win. And as you have pointed out for a couple of years now, his outside of Indy, his qualifying has um, you know, been slipping a little bit too and just making that job that much harder for him. No, it's killing him. It's killing him. But, you know, he's third on his own team so i'm not sure what that means exactly but uh you know the equipment is there it seems like based on what his teammates are doing i hate to say this about scott dixon but he almost seems to be struggling to keep up with his teammates i agree you're not gonna go any points with uh emma uh, on those no. comments no and you know he's got a history of uh starting out slow and closing strong so he could still do that i suppose this doesn't feel like his usual slow start closing strong, though. Um, this is going to go back a little while, Curb. Uh, and so it's uh, middle of June sometime. Our good friend, uh, Mr. Jack Benyon, wrote an article about the uh, you know, the new era screening, the, the, the body work update, you know, how much longer they're going to persevere with the, the vintage the, uh, chassis. Vintage chassis DW12. So in this article, I think he attributes a quote to Jay Fry that's saying, oh, we're going to shave off here with the new era screen and shave off there with a couple other things. And that basically, you know, a new chassis to save 40 pounds, you know, to make 100, uh, 100 cars redundant, is it worth it? And I think you and I have talked about this. I think we both kind of feel like it's time for a new chassis for a lot of a host of reasons. I don't think our opinion clears, is clearly shared at uh, anywhere in the paddock, and it doesn't look like an IndyCar organization as well. Well, I might, I might disagree with you there. Uh, many of the owners seem ready to bite the bullet. IndyCar headquarters doesn't seem to agree. Um, does that seem fair? Yeah, no, I think that's right. 
it was particularly poignant article to read uh, because I'm I just finished a book while I was away, Curb. Uh, well, I finished two books, so that's remarkable. Yeah. One was the Jonathan Franzen novel, which called Crossroads, which has nothing to do with auto racing. But thanks for sharing anyway. Would you, would you recommend people pick it up? I do. I mean, his development of characters and presentation is just brutal to read sometimes, I, I must say. But he's fantastic author. Fantastic. Okay. Good. Uh, but enough with the book review. The other book I read, and Kirk, did you send this book to me? Because if you haven't, if you didn't, then I'm going to send this to you. I think I can't remember where I got it from. It's called Black Noon, the no, year I they stopped the Indy 500. Yeah, I, I probably sent it to you. Very, very good, well-written book. All right. Well, you're going to have to talk to my wife because she claims she did. Anyways, right. so first of all, if you're going to read one uh, book review, two, if you're going to read one book on IndyCar, that's probably it. Very, very and good. I mean, it's a sad story, but it's a great, well-written book. So well done. And I really, to be honest with you, like – 1964 IndyCar race is not exactly high on my list of interest uh, for reading, you know, yeah, but yeah. it was, it was a, it was a more diminutive book that could be packed easily. So I put it in there uh, right. and that's why I ended up reading it. But I got to tell you, it was fantastic. It's the best book on racing I've ever uh, read easily. Yeah. Um, so Black Moon by Art Gardner, uh, I highly recommend for anybody to read. I found myself underlining certain passages because the reality is curb, nothing has changed. In this era in IndyCar, they were going from roadsters to rear engine cars, right? Right. I mean, you could pull a quote out of this book that would have matched up almost exactly with Jay Fry. It's like, you know, we're not interested in making, you know, 100 cars redundant overnight, you know? And all this all these you know rational quote unquote rational reasons why you shouldn't do it um and how the money wasn't to be spent and it was a big waste of money and you know and the reality is you know looking back it's laughable right you know the roadster had been around for i think 10 or 15 years or at least in its current form like a watson roadster had been racing for 10 or 15 years without any development on it at all like there was during the 50s, there's almost a total period of stagnation, even though the rule book was wide open, where there's practically no car development. And well, no car development. I think the uh, the Offenhauser engine won the 530 some years in a row, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, all of that, right? So, and, and I'm, you know, if if you carry it to the extreme, we'd still be running roadsters with Offenhauser's engines in them if we listen to these guys all the time. At some point, you got to just do it. That's one of the many things that I got out of this book was like, yeah, yeah, there's there's always going to be that side of the argument. Every year you can count on that side of the argument being there. Isn't there just a certain vitality necessary to be a top level uh, sporting series in any sport? You're going to get these new engines in a few years. You're going to get the <coughs> the hybrid elements to it, the curves element to it. Um, you've added this aero screen that doesn't really fit i mean you know you've retrofitted it but it's getting a kind of a frankenstein look to it you know since the dw12 came out formula one's probably had 12 new chassis right i mean they have a new chassis every year, year. nascar's 
probably done two next generation chassis since then, at least. It feeds a cycle. It feeds new cycles. It feeds interest levels. I would think it feeds your your ecosystem in terms of suppliers. And You're right. I, there's just an underlying current of relevancy there that you have to maintain. And if you don't, next thing you know, you wake up and you've been running the same chassis 20 years. And everybody's like, yeah, those you know, 25-year-old cars are running. That's a, it's a really you know high-tech series. I'm not sure there's enough of this being said out there. Um, I understand the financial aspect of it. I understand, like Jay Fry says, they couldn't even make 100 chassis now if they wanted to by 24. The fact that they're not even considering it, it looks like, ugh, it's it's a little disheartening. Well, when was the last time that you had car counts like this in IndyCar? I mean, there, it seems to be as healthy as you and I can remember since the split. If not now, when? I mean, you know, that's right. With the, you know, we've talked about this before, just the good economy, you know, that we've had up, up until what appears to be coming. um, This was the time. And you can just hear it now. If things slow down the economy, if we go into a recession, which, you know, some people are predicting, there's no way then uh, that'll be purely a financial argument. I don't think this recession is going to bother them too much. Do you? No, recessions always bother everybody. I mean, I, I think, you know, bothers sponsors and bothers you know, ability to get sponsored. Yeah, I do. I think it matters. So you think uh, NASCAR is going to pull back and not go do street races in Chicago or spend a million dollars on a track inside a college football stadium again? It isn't stopping them. Like inflation and recessions curb, you know, it's it's always the little guy that gets hurt disproportionately. Definitely. And, definitely. And, and your analogy here, uh, you know, IndyCar is the little guy. Um, they're the ones that are going to get hurt disproportionately. Now, if Jay Fry is right and you can't have 30 cars or whatever it is by the 24 season, then man, fine, 25 season. But yeah. set set the target out there. That gives your teams three years to to organize their finances and organize their efforts. Go do it. I mean, if you can't if you can't do that, then what can you do? <laughs> you know. I think they're trying to eke uh, several more years out of these things. I mean, what happens if this car just starts misbehaving because the weight is in the wrong places? What then? Well, I mean, building a new car is risky too, but in this day and age, probably less so. Probably one's not proving that point at the moment. <laughs> that's for sure. Curb, um, enough of that. Yeah, we got to turn to a more positive, uh, <laughs> more positive bent here. Okay, well here you go. Here's another right. positive. A guy you hate or at least dislike very strongly, Bouncy Max Chilton. Yeah. Did you notice his achievement over the weekend, Kerr? I, I did not, no. He uh, now has the record run up the hill at Goodwood. Oh, really? Yes. Did he do it in a vintage uh, DW12? He did. <laughs> Without the aero screen. That's um, right. But with well, Max, Max wouldn't drive without the aero screen, probably. I'm going to task you with going and watching the video of his run. Yeah. Particularly the first five seconds. You should see this car. I think it's called a McMurty. Go check out the video of this thing taking off. It's like a bullet's being shot. It's extraordinary. And, and Max, I think, somewhere in the commentary said he was kind of up all night with the pressure of trying to set the record with it because the thing was clearly capable of it, right? But it is worth watching just that first five seconds of that thing taken off it's like it doesn't even look real how fast it's going that i mean i ha- you have to give them some credit too because that's a pretty tight course you know and all that uh, and there's like some immovable objects along the way there too curb back onto the negative okay good back to our go. comfort zone the rampant rumor uh, the last couple days uh is that rocket has failed to pay foyt 
And uh, they're going to be off the sponsorship of the car, the number 11 car is the phrase I hear. Our girl Tatia. Right. Calderon. What was she called, Curb? Most accomplished. I think she's the most accomplished rookie in recent memory in IndyCar, if I remember the phrasing correctly. I think that's the, the phrasing we were looking for. Now. It was refreshing after the mediocre rookie class ahead last year. I think we got to tread carefully here because we, we cannot be uh, branded as misogynist on the show. Okay. Um, and everything, every tweet, not every tweet, but most tweets I've read on this and the reporting of this has somehow made – if the tweeter says, for example, well, it's not that big a deal. They were kind of bringing up the rear anyway. She wasn't really performing all that well. That person is being branded as a misogynist. Well, okay. So – I mean, typical typical in today's times, especially on Twitter. Especially on Twitter. Well, maybe something happened over the weekend or late last week that has made this even more uh, – potent as of late but (laughs) at the end end of the day i say this with zero misogyny intent if tatiana calderon is out of indycar i I just don't think it matters and i and i think to say that it matters because she's a woman is almost to me that's almost the misogynist comment it's like no no she's she's been bringing up the back of the pack and you know i know she's a rookie i know she you know was learning the whole thing and all that but it's not about what her sex is it's just where she is in the competition what say you well i think both things can be true i think you know i don't think that anybody's going to notice whether she's there or not and i don't say that with any disrespect intended but she is 29th in the standings now um highest finish of six of 15th i think she's been by all accounts respect uh, you'll notice mistakes that affect races made by jimmy johnson more than you will have Noticed any by Tatiana Calderon during the season. She's gotten better from her first race to her most recent. Haven't heard anybody say a bad word about her. So she's not causing a problem. I don't think anybody has any ill will towards her. But just like if Donald Kellett went away, if um, any other backmarker went away, nobody noticed and the series would go on. So it isn't earth shattering from that point of view. Rocket pushed it. Rocket made it happen. And now Rocket's backing out less than halfway through the season. Yeah, and Rockets had similar scenario with Williams uh, in F1 years back. But yeah, I, it, uh, again, I, I think this kind of just reflexive, oh, you know, it's a huge deal because she's a woman. I, I To me, I, in, in kind of a weird way, I just find that comment disrespectful of a woman because it's like, no, I mean, she's a woman. Can't, you know, any woman who has the skills is capable of being at the top of the IndyCar series. And to like say it's, she's special because she's a woman, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't buy that, you know? Um, <clears throat> no, I don't dis. I mean, I don't disagree. Um Objectively, everything you're saying is true. However, in context, given you take IndyCar from 2000 to 2010, you've got um, legitimate, talented female racers in IndyCar. Um, you got Sarah Fisher. You've got Catherine Legg. You've got Danica Patrick. You've got Simona. You know, throw, throw Pippa Man in there. And then in the early 2000 teens, you've got Simona Di Silvestro. So I think that the disappointment in the context is that 
somehow you've backslid. There have not been any in recent years. Talented, legitimate female race car drivers in IndyCar. There haven't been any female race car drivers in IndyCar at all. Um, Simona's perhaps inching her way back in. But there's nobody on the horizon. There's nobody that I'm aware of um, in the IndyCar um, ladder series. Do you think that it hurts the series terribly that she's not there? Like, does not a woman? In other words, I guess, <laughs> does having a woman matter in the, in the series? Look, it would be useful if you had the storyline, right? Just like it'd be useful if you had other. Uh, great point. So other, maybe, maybe I should rephrase the question. Does it matter to the series to have a woman, even if she's a back marker? Is that important? I'm going to say it'd be useful for the goal of showing young girls and young ladies that they can do it if they want to. And I don't know what her sponsor is doing with her either. So maybe she has it making an impact in those, you know, those ways. You're not seeing it on track in the performance during uh, race broadcasts. No, I'm going to go one step further, Kerr. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying, I keep trying to dig you out of the hole. <laughs> I know. And I, and I openly acknowledge me. I mean, cause I just think it's just one of those things. You just can't mention it because you're bad. Right. Sure. And, and, and there's, it's a Kobayashi Maru. No one's there. If Foyt, if the whole Foyt racing team were to drop out of IndyCar, would it matter? It obviously wouldn't matter on track. The Foyt name is still powerful enough that it's a benefit to have it associated with the series. Having AJ Foyt involved in the series is still a plus, a net plus. Okay. Well, probably sufficiently dug a deep enough hole there, Kerr. That program was, in my view, almost doomed from the start. I, I never understood why Rocket was pushing it in the first place, and I guess I never will. No, and like you said, it came together so late, they had no chance to succeed, no matter what her experience level was at this level, and it, there wasn't any. Can we try, um, beat a dead horse here and try the uh, Aero McLaren SP car number three? Oh. I'm sure you saw where Rosenquist has a job next year. He just doesn't know where he'll be racing. I honestly can't figure out who would be better than him. Kirby, I have to I have to tell you something. When you brought up that subject, I started reading my mail. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm I just kind of reflexively did. <laughs> Sorry. I'm opening it right now. Yeah, I just I couldn't it's just so much talk about nothing, it seems. If you're not poaching Palau or Dixon and all these other teams to be to be fairly stable, who are you gonna get better than than Rosenquist. Well, I think that's the point. I think that's exactly what they're doing. They're just keeping their options open. Okay. But, you know, you, you got this Tony Kanan tweet hanging out there from a few weeks ago. It's You're going to fall out of your chair when you hear who it is. And is Fernando Alonso going to be back at Alpine next year? That's a hard one. I think Alpine's got a, they got a hard deal there. If you went strictly on performance, you'd have to keep Alonso over Ocon. But I heard yes. somebody say today that Ocon's not going anywhere. I think he's got a contract. Fernando doesn't, then they've got uh, to place uh, Pistari. They got to stick right. him somewhere. In terms of uh, a name that would make people sit up and take notice, Alonso's the only name I can come up with, and I don't think that yeah. even makes sense. That doesn't even make no, sense. The, the math doesn't work. So I, I heard this stat today about Rosenquist, which really kind of floored me. With Aaron McLaren SP, so top level programs, um, over under podiums, three and a half, more podiums. You know, over three and a half podiums or less than three and a half podiums in his career. He's got a victory. One victory. He's got he's two got, poles. He's got a, I think he had a second place. 
He had a second and, at Mid Ohio, right? To Dixon. Yeah, second to, to Dixon Mid Ohio. So those are the two podiums I can think of. So the answer is three. And uh, I was going to say under. Yeah. Well, that's his problem, isn't it? That's why I think McLaren's keep their options. Like, yeah, he's good. He's just not great. You know, if they can get great, they'll take great. If they can't, they'll stay with good. All right. So picks, Curb. I think you're first this time, Justin. I'm going to do it for the irony of it, Curb. You do that. Because we, I think we started off the show kind of slagging off on him. Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon. That is a bold pick based on our opening comments. Yeah. Formerly Mr. Mid-Ohio. Used to be his uh, personal pick then. Curb, um, I'm going to change my pick. I'm going to pick Joseph Newgarden. <laughs> a card laid is a card played. Come on. <laughs> No, I can pull it back. I'm going to take Joseph Newgarden. Uh, I, I should have sprinted in there because that was my <laughs> Newgarden. Prediction, Newgarden. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was getting caught up in the moment there. Yeah, I'll take Joseph Newgarden. What was I thinking? God. Oof. I am tired, clearly. Uh, I don't know if I'm one of those people in a draft that just can't believe their luck when the guy in front of them picks somebody out of, <laughs> out of left field. Uh, so uh, since you took Newgarden, my pick, I guess I will... I will go with Marcus Erickson, your championship leader, and I believe a hard-charging second place last year uh, to Newgarden. So. Now I'm going to take Scott Dixon, Mr. Mid-Ohio. Now i got to sprint a name in there before you take him back out again. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Palau. Yeah, I think that's wise. I think that that's uh, the obvious second cho- uh, obvious choice there. Now, the next choice, Curb, I think it's a little harder. A lot of names to choose from, and none of them scream pick me. Um, somebody who has distinguished himself in the past of this course uh, and seems to be on the current upswing is Mr. Alexander Rossi. Can you remember a uh, flag-to-flag victory by him a few years back? So um, I'm a bit torn between him and another. I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him, Alexander Rossi. He's come a long way when you're picking him in your top three at a racetrack. That is very true. I feel like I need to pick Colton Herta. Wow. For no, for no other reason than uh, he's up and down, and he's been kind of down. So hopefully I'll get him on the upswing here. Well, we don't have the odds for the race yet, Curb. Uh, again, these picks are in, uh, just who we think is going to be in it to win it. So if any of these guys are going off at high odds, you might want to put some money down. Uh, I'm going to chuck Will Power in there, uh, who I would have picked next, Curb. Yeah. Many of those guys are going off at high odds and have a relatively decent starting position, although strategies can come into play at mid-Ohio and have in the past. In fact, isn't that where Zanardi Jr. won? The, the 2013. Uh, there, there you go. Charlie Campbell himself has won lone IndyCar victory. Yep. Uh, and race, so there you go. So from that, you can determine victory. almost anybody can win this race. You can start towards the back and win, but... You know, if any of those guys go off at relatively high odds and have a decent you know, weekend leading up to it in terms of speed, that's who you should throw some bucks on. All right. There it is. The money line from Justin. There it is. All right, Curb. Time to go. Everybody uh, enjoy Mid-Ohio and uh, enjoy getting back to some IndyCar racing after a long, long layoff. Twitter at Hero, H-I-R-O IndyCar, at Hero IndyCar. Good night.